Hi, welcome to My Creativity, the podcast about being creative and producing output. I'm your host, Surrey. I reveal how I work, my projects, my process, well, my creativity. From the planning and goal setting, to how I stay accountable for my output, to the way ideas pop into my head and to the frameworks I use to stimulate my creativity and formalize it. Each week, I start off by going over last week's goals. I will then, at the end of the episode, give a new set of goals and tasks that I intend to complete for the following week. And this is the way I'm being accountable for my activities. And by being accountable, I will keep moving towards my goals, my dream. Tonight's episode, I also have an interview with the amazing Claire Scherzinger. She is a Canadian artist who has done some painting, but she's also done some videos using a computer game animation system and also produced an audio drama about some of the things that she's featured in her painting. So, last week's goals... First of all, my goal each week is to review what my monthly goal is. Now, my month is coming to an end, so I'll see how I've gone with that. So, publish book two. Oh my goodness, I have not published book two. I have finished editing it, and I am at the stage now where I am formatting it for publishing. But I don't have a cover for it yet, and I haven't finished formatting it for final publishing. So that is going to have to be done as a priority next week. Run 10 kilometers each Sunday. I have been doing that, and I have done it today. Release Exit Plan 3, Episode 1. Well, at this stage, that's actually going to be done next week, which is going to be the 4th of August. So, yeah, I'm off by a week by that. And doing my uh, business ideas. So something I have learnt... For this month of July, and I'm going to have to incorporate into next year's and my future goals, is that July had, right in the middle of it, school holidays. Combined with my parents coming over to visit from the East Coast, which they don't do all that often. So, as a result, there was about two, there's a good two weeks there where I was uh, spending a lot more time with my kids. And then this past sort of couple of weeks interacting and going out with my parents and and so on. So I'm going to have to plan for that and realize that my my business priorities drop down the list a bit when my family priorities increase. And that's obvious, but uh, I didn't take it into account when I was coming up with what these goals would be. So that's something that everyone can learn. I think you've got to you've got to plan for what's going to happen in your life so that you can determine whether your uh, other goals are going to happen or not. So my last week's goal was to run 10 kilometers, and I did that today. I bought new running shoes yesterday, and I ran with them today, and it was very good. Beautiful sunny day uh, here in Mandra. Winters winters do have their cold days, and we do have a fair bit of rain, I suppose. But we still do also have these beautiful sunny days with mild temperatures, where it's actually really nice being outside. Recording Exit Plan 3. I've done some more recording that. I have not recorded all of the episodes. I've certainly recorded enough now to start releasing. Audiobook of book one. I have started that. I've read through the title and 
um, part of chapter one, and I've then also gone back now from that experience of trying to actually read chapter one as an audiobook, I've gone and researched more about how the professionals do audiobook uh, narration and what I can do to prepare myself and prepare recording to have the best success. And I've learned a few things about that with regards to hydration and uh, oil. <laughs> you gotta lubricate your lips. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes I get a little bit clicky on this podcast. So I will be fixing all that up. So I've got the Claire Schertzinger interview. Claire Schertzinger is an artist. You'll hear more about that in the interview. Uh, she has a, a very interesting take because she's actually working full-time as an artist, where previously I've interviewed people such who are in a similar situation to myself, where I've got a day job and on the side I'm trying to do art. And I've been encouraging people, and, and I've been taking this on myself, that you've got to, if you want to be full-time in the art, you've got to start looking at your art as a sustainable business model. And so Claire's in the situation where she's working full-time on her art, and she is having to do all these business things. So I'm going to leave it to her to talk about. Okay. Hi, Claire. So welcome. And I guess we'll start with just a, a quick little bio about who you are, your name, and what you do professionally and or personally. Yeah. So my name is Claire Scherzinger. I'm a visual artist based in Canada right now on Vancouver Island. Uh, so I identify mostly as a visual artist uh, dealing with painting, media arts, uh, and recently I just uh, finished all of the post-production on a podcast based off of my uh, work as a painter. And uh, for, so for the last year I've been working on that. I kind of have my hands in uh, a bunch of different pots, I guess you could say. <laughs> and I saw the painting as associated with Arca. Mm, yeah. Can you tell us, tell us a little bit about what that painting is called and what it's representing and how it ties into your podcast? Yeah. So there was a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation article in their art section that they put out and it was called, uh, that particular painting on the front page was called Death of the Great Giant. And so what that uh, painting was about, really, it's, uh, I guess you could say, a section of this larger world that I created. So through my practice as a painter, I invented an exoplanet that's uh, fairly close to Earth, and I, I made a series of paintings that are basically depicting what this exoplanet would look like, what the indigenous life would look like, and that particular painting was showing a death scene or a death ritual of how life would interact on this planet given the death of uh, this great being. And so it was a gathering scene. But most of my work in general just uh, depicts landscapes, uh, depicts imagined life on this planet. And I try to keep it fairly consistent in terms of like the palette and the tone. And so the, the entire podcast was uh, based off of this this world and the paintings and that painting in particular was really a jumping off point for the narrative that occurs in the podcast. Well, it's a very interesting way of moving from a, a I suppose a still and silent media such as a, a painting mm -hmm. or a series of paintings into an audio only so there's no visual component at all. So what, what's drawn you to first of all painting but then also drawn you to creating audio for it? 
That's actually, that's a great question. And I will say this, uh, in terms of making a podcast where it, you would think that uh, given the fact that you can't see what's going on in a podcast, it would be very different from making a painting. But it is actually so similar. It's actually, it's really uncanny how similar making a podcast is to making a painting, at, at least in terms of the sound design and the post-production. Uh, because when you're, I'm going in and layering all the different sounds, you are creating space. And that's exactly like you're just building up layers of paint uh, continuously to make a larger scene. And that's what that process was really like for me. Otherwise, in many other regards, it was uh, just a total leap in terms of learning new skills to make that podcast. The thing that got me was that you went from a painting because mm -hmm. uh, I, I have no experience in painting, mm -hmm. I suppose, except at school or what have you, or, yeah. or even drawing. I, I draw little doodles at work when I'm in yeah. quotation marks concentrating. <laughs> In meetings, I've got a I've got a pad full of all sorts of crazy things, but uh, I've I've not had I've not tried to you know I guess creatively produce a, a visual still image like that, mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it was just interesting to see how you go there. But I, I like that you've sort of talked about this layering process mm -hmm. yeah. uh, because often often with audio that's that's certainly the case where did you get your start painting is that is that was that your first creative outlet or did you move into that later on yeah i i would say painting was my first creative outlet and everything that i do now has really come from that so i have been drawing and painting for a very long time i i just uh i i had a little like i was thinking back in my head i was like when did i actually start this process and it's just it was like oh it's like ages and ages ago. I've always had an inclination or been drawn towards painting. That being said, I've actually, I always wanted to be a musician, but I just was never naturally, I didn't have that kind of natural talent and I would practice a lot, but uh, there were definitely people more talented than I was and they could just pick it up quite naturally. And I was just really great at drawing and painting and I loved it anyway. So I kept with that. But I will say as I move more towards um, media arts, painting and thinking visually through painting has been something that's uh, really expanded and pushed my internal logic of thinking, like how I interpret the world. And then going to a podcast and just layering in all that sound, it's kind of like my little trade-off of like, this is where I get to be a sort of like sound designer slash not really a musician, but kind of. But yeah, painting's been the entry point into everything I do and how I see the world, really, and how I uh, might structure things in my brain. Yeah, it's it's really thinking visually for me is it's it makes life really it makes life interesting for sure. Whenever someone says something, my brain works in images, and given the fact that Instagram is such a huge part of our lives now, I just I think I thrive off of the way that we live now and think about. And think in images and not just words. Yeah. So, do you do you do this? Uh, yeah, artwork as a full time. I hate to use the term, but career. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Or, or is this, or is this a, um, you know, a side you're trying to develop, or which way around is this going? Yeah. This is a really important question, I think, to kind of ask and answer. 
because uh, I'm in the fortunate position right now where I do work pretty much full time on my art. And then uh, like there have been times where I haven't been able to. Uh, It's kind of gone back and forth. So I'll have a job like a day job when I need to. In Canada, anyway, we have this really great competition that's sponsored by the Royal Bank of Canada. And in 2015, I won a prize where it it was a purchase prize where the Royal Bank basically buys your painting out of this like pool of contestants. And I got a bunch of money just from one singular painting. And I've been kind of like saving and then living off of that money ever since. And then having like small jobs uh, here and there and uh, just working when I need to and being able to pick up jobs whenever, like jobs in fields that I like. But yeah, most of the artists I know uh, still have some kind of day job where it's not necessarily what they ideally want to be doing, and but their practice is what they come home to. I think I'm just so lucky that right now I get to be doing what I want all the time. The term starving artist has been coined for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm certainly in the, in the camp of having a day job and trying to develop my, you know, I guess, artistic side or creative side mm-hmm. into something that, that will replace that. But one challenge that I've found a few people have uh, who have gone down being, I suppose, full-time creatives is resistance from family and friends. Uh, they, you know, get a real job. How are you going to make ends mm-hmm. meet? So yeah, that's, have you got a lot of support yeah. or, or feedback in that sense? Um, I, I think just in general, that's been sort of a stigma that uh, art is not necessarily a real job. Like that's been just what many have thought for such a long time. And I know some of even the actors I worked with on this podcast, they were describing their relationships to their family and how they decided to pursue acting. And they just the sort of general discomfort because it is a high risk. It's a high risk career. And I think it would be natural for a lot of family and friends to be like, okay, well, are you in a position to really go in for the long haul? Because it is a long haul, like it's a long game in terms of being an artist and trying to, like I'm saying this in air quotes, like make it. But I was in the fortunate position that that was never really a question for me because maybe for better or worse, I am quite enterprising. (laughs) So I don't think I've ever really had too much resistance or pushback from friends and family. And I come from like a family of engineers and just like very technically minded people. So that's kind of incredible in itself. I'm not exactly sure why or how that happened, but it just was. I think I just came from a background that really in whatever form creativity would occur, whether it was in like uh, the sciences, experiencing creativity through the sciences or the arts, it was just generally encouraged to be um, a critical and creative thinker. So when I decided I wanted to pursue a visual arts career, it was not really anything that I got pushback on. Yeah, you you talk about the, um, I suppose, creativity through the science as well as through arts there. Mm-hmm. And I certainly noticed that I think there's there's a large breed of engineers and and scientists who are themselves would identify mm-hmm. as creative people the fact that they're producing, say, uh, more readily marketable products such as a structural design or a um, answer to a, a question about materials or chemistry or mm-hmm. astronomy or something. Absolutely. Uh, certainly, certainly as a computer programmer or, or as some 
people would term it in more lofty terms a software engineer, but mm-hmm. I, I disagree because I've <laughs> I'm not an engineer. But even even that uh, is, I think actually just has been one of my my way of being able to be creative professionally. Mm-hmm. Never as exciting as you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, but uh, you go on. Yeah, absolutely. I I have like a couple of thoughts on that actually. So. The first being that uh, I just, my brother is also, he's a computer programmer, and I just think that there's so much potential, like, burgeoning technologies like AI that uh, he's getting a chance to express his creativity right now. But to kind of broaden the scope, there's a really great book that I um, have been picking away at and just revisiting time and time again, and it's by um, Nato Thompson, and it's called Culture as Weapon. And there's a chapter in that book where he talks about the rise of the creative class and how really that uh, he talks a lot about uh, cities being changed and gentrified and basically morphing to suit this uh, new generation, this new this new class of uh, creative problem solvers and thinkers and how these uh, these individuals and I'm certainly part of this system, you have people like wanting to work with individuals like engineers and architects to make cities or just like build condo developments or do public art to make this sort of again in air quotes creative environment it's just become this kind of a I think new lifestyle or way of living that uh, we're all kind of adjusting to since this is uh, something that I I believe is like really a recent thing that's sort of what I'm riffing off anyway of just how there's this interesting uh change in lifestyle that we're really beginning to experience now well I think it probably originally started with the move away from agriculture mm-hmm. where automation started you know, making it require fewer people to produce the food everyone went into industrial we're moving mm-hmm. out of industrial manufacturing now because we've got well, I guess basically robots taking over and We've built up such a, a large infrastructure, which supports a lot of manufacturing with not a lot of people. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure Canada's probably in the same situation as Australia. Uh, yeah. We don't have a lot of base manufacturing here. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, all of the car factories are shutting down. There's not much in the way of manufacturing. We get it all in from Southeast Asia, yeah. which who are going through, I suppose, the process of creating all the manufacturing goodness knows what's going to happen when they uh, mm-hmm. post that that must be some sort of a uh, totally post-industrial world rather than yeah. just a country mm-hmm. which i guess means then it comes down to we are presented with a whole bunch of tools easily accessible because of our uh, you know, infrastructure of manufacturing and, and transport it's naturally going to be i think creativity that will produce the output there not the um you know raw materials or or base base tools mm-hmm. as such I might actually have a look at that. Um, Thompson. What's his first name for this book you're talking about? Oh, Nato Col- Thompson. Um, Nato. Yeah, Nato Thompson. Uh, Culture as weapon, and uh, this is just one particular chapter that I'm citing. And he talks a lot also about Richard Florida, who was like uh, who wrote about this rise of the creative class, and, and in particular how it relates to cities. But uh, the whole book is very interesting. It looks at things like the American military and how they use culture, it, like, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq to understand, you know, various uh, land, like, you know, cultural landscapes uh, to better 
I don't know, serve their cause. Yeah, there's a lot of different interesting kind of things in that book that touch on all different aspects of life and how culture is used as this device by the left and the right, you know, to serve their to serve their purpose. Not and not just in an artistic sense, but art is definitely intertwined into these various aspects of life that he talks about. So yeah, it's a really great book. I would highly recommend it. Uh, okay, so let's talk about how you how you set your goals because you've created yourself some artworks mm-hmm. and you want to move into in creating this podcast that you've just finished production on. Mm-hmm. Did you have a formal goal setting process or, or a project management system or did someone else have that and help you stay in touch? How, how did that work out? Yeah, so I served as the executive producer and I did a lot of different things uh, on that project, but uh, I uh, developed the timeline. I, uh, since I was also the one paying for the entire production process, I had to make sure that uh, we stuck to very specific uh, timelines and hours. So yeah, it kind of like I had to have a timeline and specific goals of what I wanted to achieve. So I I basically just drew up a proposal, a timeline and allowed for some like just wiggle room, some time for uh, if just to have like a contingency plan, some breathing room in case something went wrong in the recording process or it ended up taking longer than we thought. Um, I will say this, though, this whole process has been of oh, just such an intense learning process for me um, in terms of how to put a project of this massive scale together and uh, really just like the kind of work that was involved that I might not have anticipated. Luckily right now I have time to really wrap up post-production on my own timeline uh, as long as I keep up like the podcast is being released right now but I'm still finishing the last few episodes in terms of uh, sound design and whatnot. So it wasn't perfect but I definitely met the goals of the like how I wanted to have recording finished by like mid-March and uh, just uh, have all the editing and arranging done by April to early May and uh, it's you just have to be a good there's you have to be a good time manager and those are like very like specific qualities that I think really go hand in hand with create like having that creative bone in your body but also being able to think like a business person and organize your time really well. And I actually think that's where a lot of people fall over or stumble is trying to either be purely, and we use the term business oriented, or being purely uh, creative oriented. So on one hand, you've got people who are flying by the seat of their pants or or winging the creation of their vision uh, through to the other side of the coin, which is the people who structure and organize it down to the possibly down to the point where it gets choked how how have you found balance between those two sorts of i guess extremes yeah you have to budget your time just really well i kind of have a rough plan of how i think my year is going to go based on all of the projects that i want to get done and the sort of uh, timeline that i need to allow myself to really let go, not be so wrapped up in meeting a deadline. I have to allow myself to 
or budget time to just be a creative individual to really let go of the world around me and how that might how that time might fit into having a day job just addressing the other things in life like my partner and I we we try to live life as well as uh, be creative ourselves and yeah so I think it's really interesting especially being in Canada and I don't know about Australia but in Canada we have uh, really good granting bodies so so we have the Canada Council for the Arts and then we have provincial arts councils and in when you're submitting a grant to them you really have to outline what all the money is going to be allocated for and how you're going to spend your time so in writing a bunch of grants uh planning out that sort of timeline and then also just showing the kind of amount of time you need for yourself uh, to just uh, let your brain kind of think or just simmer and then actually get into the project. Uh, Writing those grants and uh, just showing that process to a committee has been so helpful for me. I mean, it's really just a necessary kind of groove you have to get into because if you can't write that down and really stick to it, they're not going to give you any money to fund your project. So that's been a really important tool for me. But I can say personally, I will just take even like an hour out of a day if I can swing it. Depends really. But I try to take an hour if uh, if I can to just either meditate or listen to music or just do something that's not really associated to the task at hand because that's really just how my mind can like distill information that's that's really interesting information you've given there because a lot of people who who are trying a lot of i should say a lot of people are in the situation where a day job is or career in terms of non, you know, I guess traditional career, if we're going to ter- use that term, uh, doing the creativity on the side, and it's usually a stated goal to be full-time creative. But there's a, um, I suppose because it's a side project, there's not that investigation into, as you said, this more formalized uh, approach where in order to get a grant, if you're going to go for grants, but it's going to work the same if you're going to get uh, investors on board with a, a media product. Uh, yeah, if you're going to try and get a, a movie or a TV show or, or a podcast or something, you'd have to come up with a budget of time and money and show where where the, these things are going to be spent for what return. That's something that I don't think I don't think I, I think it's easy to lose sight of that. Uh, nuts and bolts requirement of creativity so and, that, that's quite an interesting yeah point. well it's it's I've been thinking actually about this a lot which is why I'm glad we're having this conversation <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about just uh, practice and then project uh, like the difference between those two kinds of words and how creative individuals might subscribe to purely one like their their work might just be project-based where they plan out all their different projects. They don't really do too much in between. They kind of have projects lined up on the horizon. And then there are people who are maybe practice-based where they have to go to the studio every day and work it out day after day. Like it's, it's a process. And then there are people who fall in all sorts of different places on that spectrum. Um, I will say for myself, I... I have projects that I work on, but I also 
you know, when I go to the, st- I don't have a studio right now, but I am just in the process of setting up another home studio. So I'm hoping I can uh, go there and work, you know, every, a little bit every day and make that uh, my real more of my reality. But uh, yeah, I've been thinking about the spectrum of those words a lot um, and where I fall in that spectrum. But I think it's uh, something that's interesting because you have to kind of shape your, again, in air quotes, practice to be a little more project based if you want to get grants, because that's what they're looking for. But that being said, like you still need to be able to kind of have that practice element where you you are able to continuously think on things um, and just Mm. like let feed your mind basically on a consistent basis. Yeah. Oh, well, speaking then of consistent basis, you're, we've talked about, I guess, sort of how you get into here and, and what your general approach is, but do you have a, a guiding vision, you know, which we might call a, you know, a 10 year sort of horizon vision where you, you want to reach and, and I use the 10 years just as a, a way of saying mm-hmm. in the future more than the next coming year. Yeah. Yeah. 10 years. You know, it's so funny how it seems so long and yet so short. It's funny like that. I would say that uh, my 10-year plan right now, I'm actually at a really interesting point in my personal career because uh, I come from the visual arts world in North America, particularly in Canada. It's quite small for the visual arts scene. You just don't have the same kind of exposure or opportunities as you do in the States. And uh, I'm actually in the process of moving to the States. But that being said, I'm not really sure. The, I'm just trying to figure out the kind of artist that I want to be because uh, like, I, like we've been talking about, I also did this uh, kind of more commercial media arts project, like a podcast. So I'm in my 10-year plan right now or roughly that, I'm really trying to figure out how I can balance these two worlds, so to speak, and can they overlap? Because uh, I'm really interested in doing projects that maybe have a more commercial element to them, like podcasting, like video games, like movies, but those sorts of ideas that fuel these more commercial projects all stem from like a, a place of like very intense and kind of private, like a private world that I've built. And that comes from an arts practice. So, and my practice in painting. So I'm really, my goal over the next 10 years is to figure out where I can have these intersections between these two worlds. And also just, you know, maintaining, being able to do what I like to do on a still relatively consistent basis. And you know, working a day job, because I definitely will at some point go back to having a day job of some kind. So just a day job that's quite bearable for me and allows me to do what I want to do in one form or another. That's really what I have on the horizon for myself. I'm trying not to, like, I try not to get too excited or attached to a, like, a certain vision of the future. All I know is that I want to make work or be able to make work that can just touch and reach a lot of different people and gets across the main ideas of what I'm trying to convey through all of my artwork. So if I can do that and keep doing that in the next 10 years, then honestly, my life is existing. Like it, it will be a success if I can do that. And it will also be a success if I never have to go back to working retail ever in my life again. So. Yes, it's one of those 
Uh, you know, I, I tried uh, a little while ago to sort of quit the, the day job arena, mm-hmm. but uh, you end up, I, I end up sort of looking at, I guess, my commitments and these sorts of sacrifices I and my family were willing to make and end up going back into IT. But I've managed to find myself a, a job, as you say, which is not too demanding, but it keeps me stimulated and with nice people. So... I found I found a nice spot for the time being. That's good. Yeah. So you you want your work to influence other people. Who or what has influenced you? Oh man. Well, definitely other visual artists and filmmakers. I will say for me, musicians and filmmakers are probably at the top and then uh visual artists who happen to work with media um like video and audio. They definitely people in that realm. So, for example, filmmakers, I definitely love, like, you know, a lot of popular filmmakers who work with, like, really great graphics. Like, of course, Avatar was big and developing this kind of, like, thinking on this world that I invented. And, oh, I love the entire Alien franchise. Like, I'm pretty typical in that sense. Uh, You know, I just love science fiction. In terms of visual artists who work with video and audio, uh, Kelly Richardson is amazing. She... Uh, she's Canadian, uh, lived in England for a while, and now she's back in Canada, but she's uh, shown all over the world, and her work is magnificent. And who else? She's probably, like, my biggest influence. I'm just, I'm always, you know when you're, like, always in the moment and you're trying to list off names, it's like, ah, who do I know? Like, I know all yeah, these what's people. What's your top, top five films? And you go, ah... Uh... I've seen films and I've liked them. I can't name any of them now. I know. It's exactly that. That's what I'm uh, going through at this very moment. I will say musicians, I could uh, list off maybe a couple more. I love I love electronic music like One O Tricks Point Never, Fennez, like all of these experimental artists. And I love I love writers like uh, science fiction writers. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening in contemporary Chinese science fiction. Shen Lu's uh, Three Body Problem was amazing. That whole trilogy was amazing and very influential on me. Who else? Like it's just such yep. a medley. <laughs> I think actually there's some uh, video adaptations of uh, the the, uh, the Wandering Earth and yes. the Three Body Problem at the moment. Mm, I heard that Amazon bought the rights. This is a rumor, I, but I heard Amazon bought the rights to the Three Body Problem trilogy for almost a billion dollars, and I kind of freaked out when I heard that because if it's on Prime at any point in time, I will just uh, lose, like, I'll, I will cry joy. Oh, and that's the other series I really like that is actually very beautiful and well done. It's The Expanse. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah, I think I think that got cancelled, though, just recently. It actually got picked up by Amazon. Like, it was on, uh, like, the Sci-Fi Network or something and was cancelled, yes. But uh, it got picked up by Amazon Prime. And I think they're releasing their fourth season in, like, just the fall or maybe September. That's, that's great. I'm so okay. excited. Yeah, I was, was going to talk about the, saying um, picking up the Chinese science fiction for uh, let's call it a billion dollars for lack of a better term. <laughs> I just thinking though, considering the size of the Chinese speaking market extending beyond China to you know down to into Southeast Asia, there's the Chinese Malay and 
and so forth, as well as then there's going to be the, the diaspora across to US and UK. You've kind of got a huge market who would just be interested in the fact that it is specifically Chinese written science fiction mm-hmm. rather than coming purely out of Hollywood. So I've often wondered how I can make my work more appealing to uh, the Indian subcontinent uh, or China just for that reason, the fact you've got a couple, you know, like a billion people, mm-hmm. you only need a small percentage of them to click and, you know, you start getting that feedback. Absolutely. I mean, even just from my visual arts background, everyone is excited about uh, selling paintings in China. And uh, just the minute that market opened up, people were losing, like they were just losing it because it was, there was so much money to be made and also new artists to be discovered and all of these things. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I've wondered that at times as well. Uh, it's just, it seems like it, there's a lot of potential there, but I don't know if I really know how to crack that. It's, uh, I, I definitely enjoy uh, works that are translated and artwork uh, by various artists who come out of China. Yeah, I, it's more just, I feel like we'd all be interested in like the same ideas that we're talking about for sure it's kind of like oh well just how do i make the leap over there and uh, get my work seen or heard definitely yeah it'd be quite a quite a good challenge mm-hmm. uh, what sort of lessons have you learned in your process of you know, painting and producing other bits and pieces that you'd these lessons that you'd like to pass on to uh, a new generation of uh, artists or creatives who are coming yeah, maybe finishing up school or something, or maybe to your children if you're going to, I don't know if you have children if you're going to, but let's talk mm-hmm. about metaphorical children here as such. Absolutely. I mean, uh, there are a couple of, there. Oh, there's always a lot of different things that, to say because I think uh, artists have this, uh, well, artists, whatever medium you decide to use or whatever you decide to do, I feel that more and more there is no one way to be an artist. I think there's been, and still is, like there still are pretty strong divisions between like what is an artist and I don't know, what is a designer or what, like are you an actor, are you are you a musician or what have you, but I do feel those lines are really starting to blur. I think being cross-disciplinary is a strength definitely a strength and I I encourage that in all of the students that I teach to do as many different things as possible and if they like and find that one particular thing that they just want to do that then they should stick with it but yeah it's uh, I do also believe that as any creative like any creative individual I do feel that there's a responsibility to try and use your strengths to better uh, better the world, whether that's through climate justice or like trying to fix homeless, like the like poverty or homelessness or just try to think of a better world. I feel that's really an obligation that people who are creative and have the privilege to express that creativity, they, they should try to find a way to do that and try to find a way to be happy for themselves, but also help other people. So that's really what I would tell a younger generation. And I feel like a lot of like a lot of what is it like Gen Z now, I guess they're called. <laughs> I do feel that there's a, that strong sense in uh, that generation. So uh, it makes me really hopeful for the future and like hopeful for the next generation of artists. Absolutely. 
I think recently, actually, William Gibson, uh, who I believe, is he Canadian? Oh, is he? I don't know. Like, you're thinking uh, the science fiction writer, William Gibson. Yeah, yeah, William Gibson. He recently came out suggesting that uh, science fiction writers need to perhaps concentrate, get back to concentrating on uh, positive messages in their stories to move away from the, the current trend to dystopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, pointing out that the sorts of stories that were written in the 80s and 90s, which were all sort of quite dark future, are coming to be reality. Mm-hmm. Whereas back the sort of the 50s, 60s, sort of isn't space wonderful and we're going to find so many new things, was typified by, for example, you know, landing on the moon and, and all of these amazing growth. And now he's he's saying, oh, we've got a responsibility here as science fiction authors to perhaps consider introducing more positive messages so that the next generation of people, scientists, engineers who are and politicians who are inspired by these arts actually have built in this sort of more rosy or, or a nicer view of what the future could look like. Uh, so it's interesting there that you, you touched on on that responsibility there of um, bettering the world, using your, your power to better the world. Because I've, I've often thought that myself when I've cynically looked around and you sort of think, the uh what's his name snow crash have you, have oh, you read that book uh, neil stevenson neil, neil stevenson yeah he, he wrote snow crash he's got a few of these worlds where their post-government and their corporate power uh mm. holds you know and brands hold yeah. um, suburbs and neighborhoods and things and then you start looking and you're starting to see similar things there where corporations are moving into education or promoting yeah. Something and so yeah, I, I think I think maybe that it's uh, something that we should keep an eye on. Maybe mm-hmm. use our powers for good. Absolutely. And- I mean, uh, I think the beautiful thing about uh, making art in whatever form, and well, especially using metaphor. And since I use a lot of metaphor in my own work, is just uh, you have the ability to reflect on the time that we live in now, and also like speculate on the future. And uh, that's why I make work that's based around science fiction, because it is such a powerful scenario building tool. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think building layered characters, like nothing is ever going to be perfect, but we should show all these, like we should show hope. As much as people do terrible things there, and like, you know, there's terrible things that happen, there's always hope, which I feel is really an important message to convey in the arts in whatever form. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, speaking of terrible things happening, have you had a, a failure that you've, you've uh, had to learn from or, or grow out of in your career, your endeavors? Yeah, I'm trying to think about that. It's uh, I, <laughs> a failure. And failure can mean a lot of things here. Oh, sure. Perhaps it didn't achieve the goal you expected to, or maybe it had a, a different impact to what you'd hoped yeah i think so this is uh more i think just a personal trait that i've had to deal with and so it's very much a sort of broad kind of definition of the world word failure i know a personal flaw perhaps that's really kind of held me back is uh my own uh lack of patience my uh just uh (laughs) wanting to move at a million miles an hour and when maybe things don't turn around as quickly uh, or don't move as quickly as I do. I 
have the ability to get incredibly frustrated and anxious just about, you know, questions of, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Imposter syndrome, all those things uh, really easily come up for me because I like, I think that's just more of like a personal flaw, but uh, it has affected me at certain points in my life that have made me just uh, really, I, I need to try and improve that. And that's like a personal failing. And it's one that is so easy to experience when you're in any creative field, because it is really cutthroat. You're like competing for limited resources. That's really uh personal like personal failing but personal flaw more so that I'm really trying to work on and grow out of Uh, that being said it's it's again it's a grind it's really hard to get out of that but it is what it is and you you just take it one day at a time so that's more like that's how I would think of uh, failure for me right now anyway Uh, I certainly resonate with that Uh, I am often myself quite impatient and I've mm-hmm. taken a, a bit of advice that I heard was to yeah trust in the process so the idea is that if you set down some sort of a framework or plans that you intend to to reach and this and this is why I look to um, say annual or or even after that 10 year sort of horizon so that I can go okay yeah I want everything to happen now but you know what it takes time to develop it takes time to learn how to express certain ideas uh, so it, so there's a there is a, a process you have to go through and eventually you know it works if if you keep if you keep plugging away keep picking up working on your feedback then you get, you'll get to the end result and that's that's where I, I have found that yeah the impatience and I have to look back and go no look just I can only do so much at a certain time, and if I keep going, taking one step forward, eventually mm-hmm. it will be there. It's yeah. not a race as such. You know, you're not trying to, it's you know, you don't reach a point and go, ah, oh, there, well, there we go. I have, that's, that's, I've done life. That's great. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> the whole marathon. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely hard to, uh, you know, find a way to live by, especially when social media, like you feel like you're living in a vacuum in certain ways. But uh, it's, uh, I think really for me, just uh, this is also why I love painting, because I will shut myself away in my studio and not think about the outside world uh, for a little while. And it's the best thing. I love it because that's really what helps give me perspective. And then eventually coming out, like when my partner gets home and we do other things or we go on a hike, then, uh, yeah, that's absolutely, that's, that's, I was actually having a conversation with one of the actors who was, uh, in my podcast, uh, yesterday and he was just talking about how, you can't just be in theater like or in acting mode all the time because in order to portray a human being you need to actually live life to know how a human being would live a life uh, as a character in a play or something or like in a film and I was like yes that that is exactly it that's uh we were both arriving at the same conclusions just in like our different fields yeah yeah that's that's a good way of expressing I suppose is that if you want to, if you want to have a, a, a representation or expression of life or of culture, you have to pay attention to your position in it as well. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I do that on the train often. I sit there with my headphones in and sort of peek about the train and just watch other people getting on and off <laughs> and imagining, you know, just based on, on, on what they're doing and how they're acting or how they're looking, what sort of events are occurring around them. It's quite, it's interesting then to, to turn that on yourself and think, oh, well, what, what am I doing? How am I looking? How am I acting? And how is that in, influencing the way I'm sort of showing up? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. Okay. Well, I guess then you mentioned hiking there. Do you have mm-hmm. any sort of go-to actions or activities that, that you do to sort of, I guess, refresh yourself and, and break out of uh, maybe a hard a hard slog or you find yourself in a in a rut that's, what, what do you do um, yeah no, that's uh, a really important question and I think I am always working on that <laughs> uh, because I am a workaholic I I love to work and uh, yeah that's uh, I would say that uh, yeah I'm just thinking for a moment I would say to get over my workaholism. I definitely go hiking. I try and uh, go for walks around the block. Uh, I'll go get a coffee. Even if it's like, even if I'm over caffeinated, I'll just still like, you know, go out and just uh, get one and walk around. Uh, I, uh, I, that's actually a really tough one for me because I do, I, I'm not the best, uh, practice uh practice I'm not the the most practiced person in terms of self-care in that sense I will say that for sure I'm trying to get better at it uh I go hiking uh and uh what else do I do sometimes my partner and I will just go out and have like dinner somewhere nice or like you know we'll just try and get out of the house or go downtown or something like that we just try and like you know live life I have to I, I've been so busy with this project that I am so excited to get back to exercising more on a regular basis. Like, I feel that's so key, like just drink water and exercise so you can keep doing and keeping the, keep this intense pace until like, you know, you're 70 or whatever, because you'll be doing this for a very long time. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I just try and keep active in whatever way is possible for me. Sometimes, though, there are projects that will just take so much of my time that there's not a whole lot that I can do. And this project right now has been one of those. So I will say this, though. I am going to a conference in Hawaii on, uh, on Wednesday, and I'm really excited for that because it's just going to be... It's all about science fiction and science fiction research. So it'll be about interesting things and I assume interesting people will be there and uh, it'll be, I'll be on a beach otherwise. So, you know, doing stuff like that is really what helps. That does sound pretty good. Okay then, so what's next on your horizon then? You've got this um, ARCA uh, what's the number associated with ARCA? Yeah, ARCA 45672. Yeah, that the number there refers to the amount of um, astronomical units the planet is from the sun or from Earth. And uh, so for that project, I'm still exploring this universe. What I uh, plan for upcoming projects, it really deter- is going to be all of this is going to be determined by whether I get funding or not for my next couple of projects. So 
I'm trying to work towards a season two for the podcast. So as soon as uh, the season one is finished, and that will be in, in like three to four weeks, I'll have to start the process of finding money for season two and actually start writing uh, the script for that. Fingers crossed that we get some Canada Council funding and other sources of funding. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Uh, but other than that, it, uh, I have this web-based project that uh, I also applied to the British Columbia Arts Council for Media Arts Grant. And what that project is, in a nutshell, making an interactive web game that also, it's like a storytelling game that is based around the world of ARCA. And uh, it will involve original video that I make. I make videos in a gaming engine as well as painting. So it will feature all original videos of various planets, including Arca, and then um, it'll you'll be able to traverse these landscapes, and you'll have to make decisions on how you interact with your crew. And basically, you'll, your interaction with your crew, with the environment, will decide the fate of that planet. And you'll be able to travel throughout time and like through light speed, uh, through warp. Uh, you know, just uh, I'm still working out like how exactly players will travel through space, but you'll be able to witness the um, the sort of rise and fall, the environmental collapse, and then the environmental rebirth of uh, various planets that you can visit. So yeah, it's going to be a really intense like web game that I'm trying to build, or will try to build. I'm really excited for that one because I think it's a really interesting way to tell a story. And I think uh, there's lots of uh, interesting technologies on the rise that are going to be used for storytelling. So that's really kind of the general direction that I want to take my practice as an artist. But yeah, fingers crossed that I get money for that. <laughs> well, the interactive sci-fi, I look forward to that. Do you have a name for it? For Is there the... something we can look out for? Like, I mean, you know, You're looking for your funding, but... Yeah, it's... Uh... So this project, uh, the working title, it's based off a poem by a Canadian writer. It's called All Our Wonder Unavenged, and uh, that will be the, that's the working title. I don't know if it will be uh, something shorter or what have you as the project hopefully moves forward. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's a, all of this work is supposed to inspire and wonder, and uh, yeah, that's where, what I believe the title really inspires. And where can we find more information about you and your work? So, I have a personal website. It's www.clairescherzinger.com. And <laughs> long German last name. But, uh, yeah, you can find me there. Uh, you can find uh, ARCA45672 at www.arca45672. That's A-R-C-A 45672.com. And you can find me on Instagram uh, just under my full name or under the uh, podcast Instagram. If you want to find me on Twitter, I actually only have one Twitter account and uh, that's for the ARCA account. So it's 45672 ARCA. And I think that's all of my social media. There's always so many. <laughs> oh, I know. It's one of the uh, bits of advice I was given by, um, by this uh, business coach was that when you do come up with like a, a a brand name or a business name or a you know a project name or something that you're going to do the first thing you should do is, is go make sure we can get a dot com or a or similar and then instagram twitter youtube go through and just reserve all of those mm -hmm. so that 
you try and get and try to find one that is going to be the same. So you can yeah. just sort of say, find me at blah on whatever you choose. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. had that problem. And the reason he came up with that advice is because he, he went through and got everything except YouTube where the name, the exact name was taken. So everything else is all one thing and the other one is this something different. And so he so said, it's really annoying in communication. You're trying to tell people, oh, just see me this, oh, except for YouTube, you've got to do this one. Yeah, I know. Uh, for the my Twitter account, I feel like it was like the I put it in the way I wanted, but it got changed somehow, and I'm not exactly sure what happened. So once the season is over, I'm going to be switching it to the way that it's supposed to read. But I'm also kind of hesitant in terms of just like how people will know us. Um, so working that one out, I might just do some like PSAs multiple times. But it is really just good branding is so key i have to say okay well thank you very much for coming and talk to us oh yeah thank uh, you think, for having me i think you've given some some great insight there from a, a different perspective to other people we've spoken to mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh i look forward to hearing more about your work thank you so much i really appreciate you having me on and i want to say again thank you to claire for that it was a great insight uh, definitely check out ARCA 45672. It's a wonderful audio drama that has been released. And it'd be great to see what comes out of her uh, online sort of interactive storytelling. Now, I'd also like to say I'm going to come up with my next week's goals. But if there's anyone out there who is at that point in their, their creative career where they would like to see more productivity, I would suggest start writing your goals down. Figure out what your purpose is. Write your goals down, have some uh, future vision, send them in to me on a weekly basis and we'll go over them together. We'll be accountable together and we'll be more productive together. So next week, next week is 1st of August. So I'm going to have to have my August goals up and ready for that. Uh, Looking back at my quarterly goals, I'm supposed to be continuing to, for this quarter, I'm supposed to specify my business application. Uh, I'm supposed to publish book two. I'm supposed to finish my audiobook for one. I'm supposed to get up to running 16 kilometers, developing sales in the shop, and finish releasing episode uh, Exit Plan 3. So I'm going to say, yeah, this coming week, I really have to, and take into account the fact that my parents are still here, so uh, I don't get as much time after work to just work, uh, I will be releasing Exit Plan Season 3, Episode 1, so... Keep an eye out for that, an ear out for that. I want to do the first two chapters as an audiobook of book one. And I want to, I'm going to quickly write these down. Uh, I'm going to end, uh, you know, I'm going to run, I'm going to run, say, mm, I'm going to try a 16 kilometer run. But not next week. Next, next week, run, I'm going to run like 10 kilometers again next week. Uh, I'm going to uh, yeah, release Exit Plan 3, F1. I'm going to narrate Chapter 1 and 2 of Audiobook. That is all. I'm going to leave it at that to make sure that I can actually achieve these things. So, until next week, be creative, have fun, see ya. See ya.